0: Hiya, you're listening to the Greeny Deal Podcast. I'm Addie Jenkins and very quickly, I just want to thank four people. Amina Ali for creating the newsletter for this podcast, which you should definitely subscribe to. Lily Draper, who creates social media artwork. Naomi Potter for your research and Sarah O'Connell for your brilliant advice and research too. But today's episode is about North Norfolk in East Anglia. The guest we have is really good at answering those questions and common misconceptions about tackling climate change, like, why don't you just go and focus your attention on China? And and a, and a very good question as well, Well, what will happen to the workers when we do start decarbonising that work in the fossil fuel industry? Um, so I hope you enjoy that, but I'll stop talking and I'll just let my guest introduce himself.
1: Hi, yeah, sure. Um, my name's uh, Alex Champion. Uh, I'm currently a second year physics student at the University of York. but um, I'm originally from rural North Norfolk. Um, I'm also a climate and environmental campaigner as well as a political one. So I've been doing work within uh, Labour for a Green New Deal where I've sat on the leadership team um, and Green New Deal UK where I've been, been helping alongside some policy stuff. Um, North Norfolk's a, an interesting place and um, it's always been Quite unique. It's got a lot of social issues that are uh, and just sort of under the surface. It's got um, it's obviously a very beautiful area. It's it's an area of outstanding national beauty, which is just one down from a from a national park. So um, we get a lot of we get a lot of tourists. We get a lot of second homeowners. We get a lot of um, people coming to retire, um, which with quite a limited housing stock um, effectively meant that we've had a, a really sort of severe case of gentrification, rising house prices, uh, pushing out uh, local people. Um, and poorer people into into sort of very sort of set neighborhoods, um, which is gentrification is generally sort of seen of as something that we uh, think about for inner cities. But we, we see it um, at another level, really, um, out, out in the countryside, too.
0: I guess, you know, you're a second year physics student. Mm-hmm. I kind of I'm just wondering, as a scientist, how does it feel like? To be ignored all the time by 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 the very people asking for scientific advice like the politicians
1: yeah well i think um one of the main things that got me into it um was just seeing the the, the, the low like the, the complete inadequacy of, of all the policies that have been put forward like the, the targets that were put forward at things like uh, the paris climate accords in 2015 and then the sort of glacial response to it and the fact that uh, I, I think there's something like six countries in the entire world that are even vi- like close to meeting um, the targets that they put forward. And these aren't these aren't the major economies. These aren't the ones that uh, have a long term debt that need to be doing it, like the UK, uh, the US, Western Europe and uh, some areas across like um, some areas in central China and stuff. But um, I just. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that you you the reason that I was brought to Labour for a New Deal was because I felt it was the only one that would that have the radicalism to get there on time. And that um, Labour's target was always uh, UK decarbonised by 2030, which seems uh, when the UN asked for 2050, it seems like uh, a bit too early for many people. Um, but we have to obviously acknowledge that we are the fifth largest economy in the world with such an amazing um, purchasing power that we need um, to actually decarbonize earlier to give those countries like india like brazil like china who uh have much much lower living standards and we need to give them the opportunity to not only decarbonize but increase living standards in doing that because um otherwise what effectively we're saying is we built our quality of life of all of these emissions that you're not allowed to
0: we're pulling the ladder up from
1: you and uh one of the only things i think i've agreed with narendra moji the uh the Prime Minister of India effectively said, um, well, I'll start decarbonising when we get to half the quality of living you you guys have, because we, we really can't just say, uh, that's it, time's up to, to, to increase quality of life. Now we've all got to just degrowth yeah. and be, be done with it.
0: Can I ask that? What do you think about the recent um, China um, announcing that it would be going carbon neutral by 2060.
1: I mean, any government putting forward targets is a, is a step in the right direction. But I think that um, uh, we look at China in a very sort of uh, different way than we should be. We look at them based on uh, emissions by production rather than emissions by consumption. So what it looks like is um, it looks like the UK has been decarbonizing since the 70s and America has been decarbonizing since the 70s and China has been massively going up and so has India and effectively all we've really done is we've exported our emissions over there so most of the clothes I'm wearing, the laptop I'm using now pretty much everything on my desk around me right now um, was made in, in China and then put on a boat and shipped all the way over here so um, what we effectively do is we make them create all of our uh, products for not too much money for the, for the people who actually do them and then we charge the emissions to their tab when we're the ones using it so um, i think we do need to rethink the way that we uh the way that we look at them because at the moment china is seen as this terrible bad guy who creates so many emissions and are, and are not doing their fair share when um i don't think that's fair on the chinese people i don't think that's fair on on uh because trying to get them to decarbonize the production to, to our demand really has to come the other way around. It has to be we're changing our demand and we're changing the way that we, that we consume rather than the way that they have to produce
0: you explain that in such a succinct um way that was so well explained because the the that argument comes up time and time again whenever you try and call for like any environmental progress people often just go to well hey what about china what about india yeah. and you kind of and because almost always i just sort of want to go yeah what about them because but like that is that is what did you so what did you say we need to start thinking about it in terms of um,
1: consumption
0: rather carbon. than production. If we're, if we're scaling it back and we're, and we're looking at the local rather than the national, the global, what would a Green New Deal look like in North mm-hmm.
1: Um So basically, like I, I mentioned towards the start, that we have a really bad problem with um, gentrification and we have a problem with... Um, uh, our housing stock so in general there would need to be a large number of, of greenhouses built we had some really fantastic ones um, in Norwich that won a number of awards because they were so eco-friendly and they were so cheap to build um, and they they looked phenomenal and they had um, they were really designed with the uh, occupants in mind so as in there was ample space to uh get to and fro to, to walk to cycle uh, it wasn't just you're sort of confined to a, a meter wide pavement and then a busy road is sort of off limits to you there was very much this sort of um, fluid area where you could um really sort of take back part of the street as well which was really nice um we really need to combat not only gentrification in norfolk but uh really high uh, cost of, of, of heating homes and things like that. So about 20% of all UK's emissions um, come from heating homes. So there needs to be large scale insulation which will help tackle um, uh, things like fuel poverty we get in the winter really badly, especially since um, uh, the Conservatives took away the winter fuel allowance for older people and North Norfolk is a is a um, distinctly older area. A lot of people come there to retire. So those people um, who aren't really vote conservative more often than not, uh, still are very, very hit hard by that. So it's not just about building new homes for say young families, but it's also about um, things like fuel poverty, um, as well as things like public transport. We've got a really bad problem with um, buses. Uh, so I live in a village which has three buses that come through every day. One's at 9am, one's at 11am and one's at 1pm. 1 uh, if I wanted to say go into town, I could probably go at 9am, but I'd have to be uh, back by but definitely 1pm which means that effectively no one there who doesn't have a car can see other people can really you might be able to go and go shopping come straight back out can't really see and work a shift in that time uh there's no way to go get your kids back so what it fa- basically does is it forces um all of the people in these areas to rely on cars because buses are so um poorly done um we already know that they they accept huge amounts of subsidies and the, uh, over 40% of all funding for buses. Is, it comes straight from the public sphere, but we don't see any of the profits of it. And we don't have um, any real way to uh, control the routes and things. Um, private companies love to to put buses on routes that they know can get a solid profit. But that's, that's, uh, that's not always what's in the public good and it's not always uh, the thing that will Connect the communities up that need them. These are communities of say, like hundreds of villages of about 400 people, um, and all of them are then effectively forced straight onto cars because um, over 5,000 bus routes have been cut. I think in the last, I think it was between 2010 and 2015. You can correct me if, if you know any different, but um, I believe about 5,000 bus routes around the country were cut because they're just not profitable. Um, but when it comes to the to those communities, they're the, they they are the lifebloods of it, and it basically means young people can't go out and see their friends older people are forced to drive long beyond they should be driving um, making it not only dangerous for them but for other road users too Um, and we lose uh, way too many people to to things like that which could be quite easily remedied with just um, buses probably being taken to say local council ownership or district council ownership and being run um, based on on need rather than profit and
0: and we need to start refunding communities over the rest of the UK Yeah. Definitely. Um, and yes I, I definitely agree with you there um, but
1: yeah uh, we can't think of these places in isolation definitely they have to be no. thought of as one part of a bigger whole um, and that even if areas aren't seen as the sort of front lines against climate change like areas like sort of California and Australia and um, islands across the Pacific are seen um, none of them will be immune to it and it's not something that people there and people anywhere can really say that doesn't affect me for a while because um, again you wouldn't you wouldn't really think that a drought in the middle east would uh, change voting patterns across europe 5 years later but you know these things are very very complicated and
0: when you lay it out like this it seems so it it seems so simple what we've got to do we've got to kind of we can't bury our heads in the sand we've got to face these problems head on because the more we ignore them the worse mm-hmm. they're going to get when people ask well why don't you sort of fight for kind of racial equality or um, gender equality or Mm -hmm. um, the you know rights of refugees i mean absolutely like yeah exactly we we should be fighting for those and things and those things should always be in the conversation when we talk about climate change but like by fight by trying to fight climate change with a green new deal for example you are simultaneously fighting those particular things yeah Um, so so yeah but I mean as you as you lay it out it does seem to make sense and it it does seem so pertinent and prescient but um there is obviously opposition so but having having spoken about all of this what what do you think the difficulties of introducing a green new deal would be in your area?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that um, trade unions have to be at the heart of it because they are the, effectively the voice of, a, of an organised and mobilised working people. Um, mm-hmm. So they have to be there, included in the conversation, because otherwise they will become its most staunch um, sort of uh, opponents uh, around things like the, the. If you look at what happened with Thatcher and the coal mines, just closing them absolutely decimating those communities. Uh, when they hear about um, the closing of 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 fossil um, fuel dependent industries now, that we definitely need to. Um, they it sort of brings back those memories and those scars and reopens those wounds. So they they have to be included in the conversation. They have to be brought along with us. There has to be a just transition.
0: I don't want to end this on a no- negative note. So um, <laughs> so quickly, maybe is there is there anything like? positive campaign wise that we can expect from, Labour, from a Gre- Labour for a Green New Deal anytime soon or anything that you're just you know you're you're passionate about a a, a a campaign a hashtag whatever like a project that you're that you're interested in and would like to give a shout out to.
1: <laughs> well um obviously Labour for a Green New Deal has been doing fantastic work and um, there's other organizations within things like uh, GMB for a Green New Deal has just started up I'm trying to make sure that the trade unions who um, really need to be at the forefront of this uh, do have their voices heard. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I think I think that's probably just just uh, Labour for a Green New Deal has been doing phenomenal work. And I I continue to.
0: Anyone that is, you know, feeling a bit hopeless with Labour, like tune into these guys, because these are these have i mean for me have like restored a lot of hope um in labour in terms of a New deal labour seems to be leading the way and that is a positive thing because it isn't a pipe dream it is something that is real and could be there around the corner at the next election hopefully we'll do our best hopefully well alex thank you so much for talking to me um i think this has been a really great conversation where you've explained so many hard things in such simple ways so much for talking thank you very
1: much it's been great
0: thanks great so that was today's episode i hope you enjoyed it next week it'll be another big ideas episode and we'll be talking about the green new deal in south africa so i'm quite excited about that um and i hope you tune in next week to hear what it's all about too and if, until then, you are interested in finding out anything more about the Greenie Deal, about this podcast, then please go and check out our great social media and subscribe to our newsletter. Um, all the links are in the description of this podcast. And until then, I hope you have a lovely week.